giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, to temperance patience, to patience godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness charity. And we've been looking at different examples of the eight steps to help us further understand what virtue really is. That's where we left off. So we're going to talk about, starting tonight, virtue in grace and works. How many have ever heard, we are not saved by works? Anyone ever heard that phrase? So a lot of people that I've heard say that, they live any way they want to live. And I remember as a teenager in high school, um, arguing with somebody about that. And they would always bring this argument, oh, you know, you guys always have all these works and we're not saved by works. And so they use that as an excuse to not have any works, right? So I want to look at that a little bit. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and verse 9. It is written by the Apostle Paul, and it says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. Right? By grace you are saved through faith. And I think a lot of people forget that word, those two words, through faith. They'll say, we're, we're saved by grace, and I always say, through faith. Saved by grace, through faith, right? And we have talked about what that definition of faith is. And um, they'll say, not of works, lest any man should boast. Look at all these works that I've done so I could be saved. I've just worked my way to salvation so look it, I'm a pretty good person. You know, I've done all these things. It's not of works lest any man should boast. And so they'll use that as an excuse to not have works in their life. Has anyone had an argument with someone like this? There's a lot of Christians out there who don't believe in any works. If they didn't tell you they were a Christian, you would have no idea because they live just like everybody else. There's no difference. Have you, has anyone ever heard that? I mean, I've been hearing this since I was a teenager, and I just argue with people. And uh, I remember as a teenager, I really felt like the Lord showed me something in Titus chapter 2. And um, if you look at verse 11, I really felt like in Titus chapter 2, in verse 11, it says... This. <laughs> Ready, go. Oh, there it is. <laughs> For the grace of God that bringeth salvation. Right? It's the grace. We talked about For by grace are you saved through faith. The kind that brings salvation hath appeared to all men. Now, here's the question. Are all men saved? We know that all men are not saved. The Bible even says few. It uses the word few. Very few, right? 
It talks about it talks about the straight is the gate, narrows the way that leadeth to life. Few there be that find it, right? Few there be. And so it's a small percentage. And so, but the grace of God's appeared to everybody, but not everyone's saved. The grace of God has appeared to everyone in this room. The grace of God has appeared to everyone out there, everyone on the street, all the homeless people, all the lost people. It's appeared to everybody, but not everyone's saved. The next verse tells us, and this is what I would tell people, that, that grace I see as a teacher. It says teaching us. So grace, the grace of God has appeared to everybody, and it teaches us something. It teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So what if you don't do as the grace of God teaches you? So virtue in grace and works. Um, let's go to James 2.14. I'm, I, this is this is not part of the lesson, actually. I just got kind of got sidetracked on it because I was an, a, a youth pastor in a church in Las Banas when I was 19 years old, and the pastor passed out a book to everybody on grace except for me. I was the only leader in the church that he didn't hand the book to. And I was visiting. I was 19 years old. I was at dinner at one of the leaders in the church, and they said, what do you think about the book the pastor gave all the leaders? And I said... I didn't get a book. <laughs> and they said, oh, yeah, it's all about grace and how that we don't have to have works anymore and all this other stuff. And I said, no, he never even gave that book to me. He never talked to me about it. And so um, I started doing a little study on grace myself because I seen the whole church pulled out of the apostolic movement, out of the UPC. They dropped all standards. And that church is not in existence today. It was a big mess what happened. It was a big mess. There was an adulterous affair that took place between the pastor and several ladies. And all this stuff was taking place. And so um, <clears throat> I remember uh, arguing with people. And I, that's when I felt like the Lord showed me this verse when I was 19 years old in Titus chapter 2. But anyways, um, grace teaches us something. And they were saying, if you were too strict, you're fallen from grace. But what if you don't do what grace teaches you to do? So anyways, that's a whole other side thing. I don't want to get sidetracked with it. But in James chapter 2, verse 14, it says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works? If I say I have faith and I don't have works, what does it profit? Can faith save him? We know that faith without works is dead. And so, for by grace are you saved through faith. Now, do I work my way to salvation? Or do I do works because I'm saved? You see the difference? There's nothing that we can do to save. He's done the work already. And so, we're going to talk about a little bit eight things here that God does, and there's eight things that we do. Number one, revelation. God, in this first step, he reveals himself. And what we do is we confess that Jesus 
is the only God and Savior. There's one God. There's one Savior. That's what we do. Okay? There's always something that he does. In every step of salvation, there's that thing which God does, and there's that thing which we do. Number two, he convicts us of our condition. And how do we respond? We confess our sin nature. That's that recognition. We recognize that we have sinned. We recognize that he's the Savior and that he's able to save us. Number, th number three, he gives us direction through his word. And what do we do? We study. We pray. We listen. We hear his word. That is that third thing. That's that responding. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost when they said, men and brethren, what shall we do, right? They sought him. What should we do? Study, pray, listen, hear his word. The fourth thing is he changes our heart. And he's the only one who can change our heart. And we commit to obey his word. We, and the fifth thing, what we do is we get baptized. And in that step, we forgive others. If we don't forgive others, the principle of baptism is not at work in our lives. We have to, it's for the remission of sins. Not just ours, but everyone who sinned against us. And he remits our sins in that fifth step. Number six, we receive his spirit, right? We must receive it. He's not going to force it upon us. We've got to receive it. And he fills and empowers us with himself. And then the seventh thing is we have to stay in fellowship and follow the rules. That's what we've got to do. We've got to stay in fellowship with the people of God. It's important to have fellowship. Did you guys know it's important to have fellowship? You got a fellowship with the brothers and sisters. And they did it every single day. So it's extremely important. And what he does is he teaches and he builds us. And we can grow and we can learn things from one another, can't we? Iron sharpens iron. We hear, we've, we've heard about that. And then uh, the eighth thing is we witness unto him. And he adds us to the church and uses us in his harvest. And the Lord added to the church daily such as we're being saved. It says such as should be saved, but it means such as we're being saved. So he adds us to the church and uses us in that harvest. And so we've got, that's the process. We can easily do the works out of sequence, but God always follows the pattern and supplies the graces in order. Our God is a God of order. Amen. So let's look at eight passages of Scripture we're going to just review them really quickly, and we're going to look at virtue, the second thing. Second step is virtue, faith, virtue. But in some of these other passages, it uses different words. For example, the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, the second one, it says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. That's the second Beatitude, right? So deeply disturbed by what God has shown them to be, grieved at what God grieves at. Are you grieved at the things that grieve him? And that is considered a proper recognition. 
And that's what happened in proper responses to the revelation all through the book of Acts, all through the Old Testament. Every time somebody got a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ or God himself, there was this kind of response. When you look at the fruit of the Spirit, singular, we talked about that, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love. The second thing, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, right? Peace is that second thing. Peace is being in harmony, harmony with God, feeling no need for separation from Him or lack of agreement. It's the absence of war. It's the absence for the desire for war. It's the absence for the preparation for war. That's peace. That's that recognition. That's where we come into recognition with God. We're not fighting God any longer. A lot of people at the revelation of God, they want to flee. They want to fight against it. But let's not do that. It's not justifying our sin to excuse ourselves or pretend to be right with God. It's not that. And the third example, we've talked about this. We're just kind of racing through them. It's a good refresher, is the wisdom that's from above. In James chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, it says it's first pure. The second thing there is then peaceable, wisdom that is from above. The word the, that there is an adjective. It's harmonizing with God's perspective, coming into Agreement with the implications of that point of view, even though it hurts. Even though it hurts. Beginning to come into agreement with God, even though it hurts. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, it, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. That's Hebrews 12, 11. So it's not always joyous, right? So it's not always fun coming into that place. And sometimes it's a painful process. We can see it when Paul was trembling and astonished. He was coming into agreement. He trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And that was a proper response at the revelation of who Jesus Christ was on the road to Damascus. Because at that point, he recognized something about himself. He'd been fighting against God. And God said, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. And so it was a painful thing. And then we have virtue in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, when it talks about how we're to think, the things that we're to think on. How should our thought life be? Well, whatsoever things are honest is that second thing. The Greek word is semnos. It means venerable, honorable, grave, or honest. Our minds must separate between our own thoughts and those of the Lord because his thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. Does anyone know that? Have you come to recognize that? All right. 
Okay, so let's look at this other process that's not so pleasant. The opposite. You know, there's the eight steps from death to life. But then there's the opposite if we decide to go the opposite direction. So we're going to look at two passages of Scripture. The first one is in Romans chapter 1. And we're going to start at verse 19 through 24 and also verse 28. Revelation, or Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 18, or 19, yeah, you're right. That's what I said, right? Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. So we're going to go through the antithesis in this passage of Scripture. We do not want to compromise the revelation. And a lot of people are doing that. They're changing what God has revealed himself and the way that he has revealed himself. So <clears throat> holding the truth and unrighteousness, here's the antithesis. Number one, revelation. We can see that it says, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. And then Number two, we can see the antithesis or the opposite and this, this, this pathway. The number two is where there is, we're going to call it refusal. We have revelation, but then we have a refusal. Instead of a recognition, there's a refusal. And that is in the phrase, they glorified him not as God. They refused it. Number three is rejection. And that phrase, neither were thankful. The, when we're thankful, gratitude demands responsiveness. Gratitude re demands responsiveness. And so number four uh, is retention. And this is the antithesis but became vain in their imaginations. Number five, am I going too fast? Am I going too fast? Yes, I'm getting some head, some head shakes. Number five, regression. 
Am I going too fast now? It says, and their foolish heart was darkened. Um, we can get to the place where we are hardened against our own need of remission. A lack of compassion for others and others' needs of remission. That is what forgiveness is. They need us to forgive them. It's important that we forgive them. They have a need for us to forgive them, that remission. It's essential. And so we don't want to get to that place where we don't have that compassion. And number six, it's the word rotting. You notice that all these words are, start with R, right? So you have the eight steps from death to life, revelation, recognition, responding, repentance, Remission, <laughs> receiving, remaining, reproduction, all R's, right? Rather read out R-E. He starts with, maybe it's because his last name starts with the R, so he has all these R words. But here's this, uh, the antithesis of the opposite of going from death to life. It's going the opposite direction. Number six is rotting. And that's the phrase, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. They thought they were wise. They thought, you know, I really don't have a need for the Holy Ghost. I'm good. I'm a good person. I'm going to tell you, you absolutely do need the Holy Ghost. You cannot be saved without it. Right? We must be born again of the water and of the Spirit. And then the seventh thing is robbing. Robbing. And that goes with the phrase, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God. So they robbed him of his rightful place. They robbed him of his power. They robbed him of his glory. So have you robbed him of his rightful place, power, and glory in your life? Because he does have a rightful place. And we don't want to change the glory of the uncorruptible God. So that seventh thing is robbing. And then the eighth thing is reprobation. Reprobates. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts. God gave them over to a reprobate mind. So we can see the antithesis of the eight steps. It's bad. It gets worse. When you do everything that you can to refuse the revelation, it gets all the way down to a reprobate mind. We don't want to refuse that revelation of who he is. Now, the last thing, I think we got enough time to finish this one. This is also another example of the antithesis. And this is uh, something I believe our Bible quizzers have memorized this year. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 19. It's called a walk in the world. A walk in the world. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. Let's read that. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles in the vanity of their mind, 
having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Verse 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Now, it almost seems like these are going to be a little bit out of order, but we're going to walk you through it, okay? So you guys see it. The very first one, let's go back to verse 17. Um, there it is. Number one, vanity of mind. And that is the root of all your problems. Vanity of mind. A walk in the world. Number two, now, we got to go to the next verse, 18. So we're going to work our way backwards because number two is blindness of their heart. That's the phrase. And you're going to see that it works backwards because th this is the word because of the blindness of their heart. All this other stuff because of the blindness of their heart, that's actually number two. So blindness of heart, a failure to recognize his glory. It's a failure to recognize his grace. It's a failure to recognize his holiness. It's a failure to recognize your own condition of wretchedness. It's a failure to recognize your own condition of misery. It's a failure to recognize your own condition of poverty. It's a failure to recognize your own condition of blindness. And... It's a failure to, you, to recognize your own condition of nakedness by refusing the revelation. By refusing the revelation. Blindness of heart. That's number two. And you can work your way to the previous one. Number three is ignorance. Ignorance never having been motivated to search God's word for the plan of salvation. Ignorance. It's just not having that knowledge. You haven't been motivated. You can see that in the book of Acts, right? When they saw God and they ha had recognition, it brought them to the place where they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? But there's some people have no interest in searching for God's will for their life. Zero interest, right? And so that's that ignorance. Never even having been motivated to search God's word for the plan of salvation, never having been motivated to search God's word for the plan of God for their life, and so they have ignorance. I don't know about anybody else, but I am interested to know what God's plan is for my life. I actually want to know what God's plan is for my life. I am actually interested in knowing how I'm supposed to be a dad, how I'm supposed to be a husband. So I want to search God's word to find out what I must do, right? So ignorance, right? That third thing. The fourth thing is alienation, being alienated. So you see having the understanding darkened, right? Darkened understanding is the fifth thing, but it's the fifth Having the, being alienated in that condition, that's the fourth. From the life of God through the ignorance is the third. That is in the because of the blindness of the heart is the second. 
So <clears throat> alienation. I got to thinking about this. Alienation. Life of God is selflessness and sacrifice. And if you retain ignorance, you are an alien and you are foreign to this attitude completely. Let's look at Colossians 1.21, and we'll come back to this verse. Ephesians 4.18. Colossians 1.21. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. It's by the wicked works. Yet now hath he reconciled. I was thinking about this last night. We had some neighbors over for dinner, and... Their English was not so good. We have Peter. Well, that's not his Bulgarian name, but that's his English name. What's his Bulgarian name? Parvan. And his wife's name is Tanya, and, and then Peter's mom was there. And uh, her English isn't so good. So I was sitting there. She was sitting right here, Parvan's mother, and... Uh, and uh, Tanya were, were there, and they've been married for about a year now. And um, so she, he is the only son of his mother. And um, I, she kept looking at him, and his English isn't really that great, but she kept looking at him trying to figure out words to say, you know, for communication. And... Um, so I asked her, this is her only son. I said, um, uh, are you hoping for grandchildren? And she said, oh, no. <laughs> and she went on and on and on. And her son said something in their language. And he was telling her what I actually asked. <laughs> she thought I asked something else. And she looked at me. She goes, I'm sorry. Yes, I want grandchildren. <laughs> she thought I asked something else. I have no idea. What, something about helping with the grandchildren or something. Maybe she misheard the word hoping. And uh, sometimes when you don't speak the same language, right, it's hard to understand. I've been around people, I don't even understand what they're saying. And so that's that idea of being alienated from the ways of God. There's some people... When it comes to the ways of God, the things of God, they're complete, it's completely foreign to them. They have no understanding. They don't speak the language that God would want them to speak. It's all about like at the, as a walk in the world, as the Gentiles walk. They have no understanding. Being alienated, that life of God, it's alien to them. It's foreign to them. And then they have this darkened understanding. That's number five. Resulting from being alienated, you have your understanding darkened. So it gets worse. It actually becomes more dark, your understanding. Um, as a stranger to the life of God, you never truly understand Godly living or remission. Because you're an alien. 
Um, so now, what's the, it just made me think of that scripture. Um, the, the scripture that just popped into my mind. Um, I'm drawing a blank on its location. I, I haven't referenced it in a while. And it's found, oh, come on. Bible quizzers, you've got to help me out. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners. Do you know where it's at? Ephesians 2.19. But fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Because prior to that, they were strangers and foreigners. But now fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And there's a lot of people, before they came to God, had no idea why Christians did what Christians do. It's like, it's foreign to them. But now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. That scripture popped into my mind, but I couldn't think of where it was found. Thank you, Caleb. So, uh, darkened understanding. Being past feeling is number six. And I think we could see that in Ephesians right there, 419. Who being past feeling, unmoved by the needs of others. Unmoved by the needs of others. No forgiveness. No long-suffering. No justice. No conscience. I was listening to an audio book today on the way home from work. And it was by uh, Chuck Swindoll. And it was talking about serving. And he told several different stories of people. Um, one lady had fallen and broken her leg and was crying out for help for 30 minutes. This was in New York City. People walking, businessmen, people walking by, walked past her for 30 minutes and didn't help her at all. Finally, a taxi cab pulled over to the side. He helped it, her into the, his taxi, took her to the hospital, to emergency. And he told several different stories like that. No compassion. He told a story of somebody who was being beaten. This woman was being beaten in the streets. And there was 38 or so people who witnessed it for quite a while, maybe 30 minutes or more. And they threw their windows and no one called 911. No one even tried to help whatsoever. And I was thinking about that. And I thought about the Good Samaritan. And I thought about that man who was beaten. And, you know, in fact, the Levite and the priest, they, they crossed over to the other side so they didn't have to go next to him. They're on their way to work, you know. And, you know, they couldn't be bothered because, you know, trying to help him, that, that might make them unclean, which would mean they couldn't do their work for the day. But it just made me think that there are people, lack of compassion, so this being past feeling, unmoved by the needs of others, no forgiveness, not long-suffering, no justice, no conscience. Uh, 
And you could see how this walk in the world just gets worse and worse and worse, right? Just goes downhill. And then the seventh one is given to lasciviousness. Um, more involved in moral impurity. Moral impurity. Praying less than ever before. Evil thoughts. And even telling evil stories. Getting caught up in that sort of thing. I was telling Brother McAtee, oh man, I'm, I'm almost to the last thing. I was telling Brother McAtee that I heard about this movie that's out in the theaters right now. came out on July 4th. It's called The Sound of Freedom. And um, Jim Caviezel's in it. And he plays... Um, it's a true, based on a true story of a man who goes into um, trafficking, child trafficking, and that's what he does for a living to catch these guys and all over the world. Anyways, it's a story about that. And so I've been hearing a lot about it. A friend of mine said, you need to have your whole family see it. And he's talking to Brother McAtee about it. He's familiar with it. Some of you may have heard about it. And so I watched on YouTube, I watched the, um, you know, the, the trailer for it. And then I watched some interviews and listened to some interviews. As I'm driving, I can't watch, you know, I have to have my eyes on the road. So I listened to interviews and I'm going through these interviews and these true life stories and, and young ladies, some who have been, tra were trafficked as little girls all the way up to now. And I got to a certain place. I had listened to hours of this stuff driving within the past couple weeks. And I, there was one, and I just felt in the spirit to not hit anymore. I didn't, I heard enough. It was, some of the stuff I heard was so terrible. And I had heard enough. And I just began to seek after the Lord. I said, okay, okay God, I'm aware. I had no idea that it was such a problem. Now that I'm aware of it, um, I don't want to hear any more about that. I don't want my mind filled with that kind of stuff. And I started listening to Christian music. I started listening. You know, I just felt like it was just, it just kind of brought me down. And so it made me think of this. Uh, your thought life, evil thoughts, just be careful. You know, the Bible tells us exactly how we should think. But given to lasciviousness, and that last one is, working all uncleanness with greediness. God will give you over to the sins of selfishness, and there will be no evidence at all that Christ Jesus was ever in you. Working all uncleanness with greediness. So we can see not only the eight steps from death to life, but we see eight steps from life to death. And we don't want to get to that place where we, we respond incorrectly to the revelation of God. Amen. And that's a good place to stop. All right.